1: Welcome back to our Triune Pod. It's the second Sunday of Easter. Nick, how are you? What you been watching
0: lately? I'm good, man. Easter was awesome. Uh, Thank you for asking. Uh, Just kidding. Um, Yeah, man, I'm doing well. Uh, Yeah, but Easter was really great. It's great, but it's great to be back on the pod after our double episode week last week. Um, Yeah, man, so I watched this movie. I feel like we should have an interesting conversation about it very briefly, because I had a very interesting conversation about it like two days ago. Mm -hmm. Have you seen uh, A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick? Okay, so for those of you who are listening who do not know what the movie is, it's by Terrence Malick, who's this like kind of dreamlike slow paced filmmaker. He made this movie, The Thin Red Line, that you know, it's pretty famous. Tree of Life. Tree of Life, there we go, yeah. So this movie is about um, Franz Jagerstatter, who was Jagerstatter, I don't know, I I don't speak German. He was a uh, German, um, uh, Austrian, excuse me, uh, Christian, married with children, who became a conscientious objector during World War II, was imprisoned, and eventually lost his life. The same uh, same prison as Bonhoeffer, actually. I oh. noticed. Um, anyway, so you've seen the movie. I have. Yeah. So I got in this vigorous debate with a couple of coworkers of mine, one of whom is even a PhD in philosophy, about the ethics of his decision and whether or not in some ways, like the movie paints a very uncomplicated story of moral heroism. Like he did the right thing, even though it was fraught with doubt and he's portrayed very humanely. I think it's undeniably that what he did was the right thing. And the whole point of the movie is that people make these wonderful ethical decisions that are hidden from us that preserve stability and bring goodness into the world. I felt like there was a good argument to be made that it would have been equally moral for him to sign the Pledge of Allegiance to Hitler half-heartedly in order to be there for his family and mm-hmm. his children. Um, but I was vigorously <laughs> objected to it. I did not persuade anyone of my position. <laughs> what do you think, Ben? Do you have any, any, yeah. I mean, I know I'm just springing this on you. This no, kind no, of no, deep, no. deep Actually thing.
1: I've, I've, I thought the same thing watching it. And I'll admit I was blown away by this movie, like kind of destroyed by it in a, in, in I guess a good way. Uh, but I did think about that because I watched it again because the first time I watched it, uh, Yes. Everyone left the theater in silence. We were all just like, wow, like this person is a true saint. Like who, who acts like this person? The second time I watched it. I think, I think
0: he actually is a saint in the Catholic church. I was in Google him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I affirm that. Um, but the second time I watched it, yeah, it was just kind of like, man, you are really leaving your family behind. Um, and you're, you know, your wife, not only is she going to miss you, but she's going to live a very hard life raising your kids with you gone. So yeah, it's, it is one of those, those kind of like, what do you do in these situations? Those co- college philosophy questions about, well, if you're put in this situation, do you, or this? Uh, and uh, yeah, I could see a good argument made both sides. I, I, When I left to watching that movie, I think the reason why I needed to watch it a second time, I pull out my phone. And the first thing I see is that Kobe Bryant is dead. wow so i had just been destroyed by this movie and then i'm even more gutted by the loss of maybe the best
0: basketball player of all time so that was not a good day Man, in my life that's really heavy that that yeah that is definitely one of those where were you when moments you know i remember i was in a grow i was in a uh, fast food place after church because i think it was a sunday it was a sunday i think so Um, and I was like eating like a hamburger and fries, like by myself, just hungry and depressed and (laughs) bored after church. And there's this family, this black family that was sitting next to me. And we just both took me and the, um, husband father took out our phones at the same time. It was kind of looked at each other. We're like, Kobe died. And we just had this like weird moment of like, oh my gosh, th- like this is unbelievable. I thought it was a deep fake at first, but anyway. All right. Well, uh, the kind of idea, I think the idea of ethics and what do you do? How do you pro- show forth in your life, what you profess in your faith? I feel like that's not a bad bridge to the collect. wouldn't you say, yeah,
1: Father DeHart? It is, it's, it's quite related. So let's pray it and then uh, Nickel enlighten us. It goes like this. Almighty and everlasting God,
0: Uh, well, I, I, I got some stuff to say about it and I definitely am not just trying to like uh, push this on you, but I feel like one way to structure this conversation or at least not structure it, but one way to like have this conversation is I wonder if you could convince me that this is a prayer worth praying. <laughs> I mean, it's in, it's in the prayer book, so we're going to pray it. I'm not like, you know, calling for revision. I'm just saying like, I, th- this is one of those colics that I just find obtuse and bizarre and not particularly meaningful so i'll I'll have you know i'll kind of try and break it down a little bit so it's more digestible but i wonder if you might be able to convince me that this is there's something there there um okay well let's start it is a whopper of an acclamation the truth that we ascribe to god to open the collect we say almighty and everlasting god it's a relatively banal title but then we say who in the paschal mystery ben what the hell is the paschal mystery my best guess is that it is christ died christ rose again christ will come again it's like the christ event is that right mm-hmm. um yeah you're Ash kind of shaking death, your head resurrection. The yeah the idea of passover um and in that paschal mystery god established the new covenant of reconciliation let's just stop there okay. Here's the connection between the paschal mystery and the establishment of the new covenant of reconciliation Um, I actually just preached, um, well, just like a few weeks ago during Lent on that Jeremiah 31 text. Did you guys do Mm -hmm. that in the Yeah, the idea of a new covenant, um, the idea of an oath-bound relationship. God makes oaths. And in in the new covenant, Jesus makes oaths. And in Jesus, we have this covenant relationship with God, whereby he writes the law upon our heart. I mean, I like all that stuff. I just, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about that? uh,
1: So yeah, a Paschal mystery Harkens us back to the Passover, uh, the Israelites in Egypt. uh, Death does not come for the Israelites. In fact, yeah, God spares them. That's connected to the passion, death, resurrection of our Lord. That's opened up to everyone. And yeah, this this new covenant of reconciliation. It's interesting because the new covenant in Jeremiah, yeah, I think of the law being written on our hearts I think of the new covenant that we talk about when we celebrate the Eucharist. But when I think about the new covenant of reconciliation, and of course, yeah, the cross, passion, resurrection of Christ reconciles us to God. I think about the ministry of reconciliation that St. Paul writes about. And I think that that actually might just make more sense with the rest of the colic. So well, let's wait to get there. But yeah, the, the Paschal Mystery, it's a weird saying. It, we, we find it in other places, the, the prayer book. I do think this- so Where, this, where this... do
0: we find it in the prayer
1: book? I actually was wondering uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd have to really look that up. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> You'd um, have to control F that. Yeah, I got you. That, that's right. Uh, but, but yeah, so this is a colic that's new to the 1979 prayer book. That said, it's not, it is an ancient prayer. It is like from one of those sacramentaries of like around 500- And this is also the collect that you would, if you go to a great vigil service, this is the collect after the seventh reading. So it it really has this collect that you say around Easter time. And yeah, I mean, I don't love it, but that, that Paschal mystery phrase really is about what Christ came to do. And in what Christ came to do, he establishes this new covenant where you and I and everyone are reconciled to God uh, by Jesus Christ, and therefore we spread this uh, this reconciliation message to the world, and we live in reconciliation as a result. But why don't we jump on to the next part, if you want to structure it that way. So I think, I mean, I feel like that's not the, the worst collect of all time. Maybe lacks some verve, but worth praying. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, no, I think the idea of covenant, I, I find, I mean, <laughs> it's funny, man, I, I shared this when I was it, preached on it, but I know I, as we've talked about in this podcast many times I grew up in the in the charismatic world so the idea of like covenant as a defining feature of my piety was just to say it was foreign to me is an understatement like I just I had never really heard people talk about covenants until we went to our relatively Presbyterian college. And people started talking about covenants as this like profound source of meaning. I had no idea what they were talking yeah, it's about. It's such a reform you know? thing. It is. That's it's first. so like, I remember I went to this Presbyterian church one time. It was a very high liturgical Presbyterian church. And on the header of the bulletin, like instead of calling it the Holy Eucharist or the liturgy of the word on the table, it was called a divine service of covenant renewal. I was like, where am I? <laughs> like this is not When I hear covenant now, it's like, I think of horror
1: films because there's always <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally, Yeah, and in, um, church. Yeah, in a church, but I think, I mean, I know you're not married, but as a married person, you know, I have a kind of my, when I, I think about covenant, I just automatically think about marriage for better and for worse. But uh, mm-hmm. what I do find really helpful about, and what is different about a marital relationship than any other kind of friendship or romantic relationship is that like my wife made vows to do certain things and to not do certain things. And so there, that bequeats or bestows upon our relationship, like at a durability and an objectivity. Like I'm not that worried. Uh This is, I hope this don't take this the wrong way. There's not a lot of performance anxiety in my marriage because I'm not trying to like win her heart. I'm not trying to secure her allegiance. Like it's been secured. It's been won. She has made vows and I've made vows to her too. So uh, hopefully that frees her to not feel like she needs to be the perfect wife. And I think in our relationship with God, you know, so often in the way that we think about spirituality in our world, the agency is always on us. Like it's our journey, our practices, our retreats, our scripture memory, you know, and it's all about performance. And I think the idea of, and of course there's a place for that, but the notion that no God's made vows, like you can rest and trust that God will do certain things for you because God has promised to do them, and it doesn't depend on you. God has made promises. That uh, is like that's a very simple idea, but I actually find that very powerful. Yeah, I mean, I love that. I mean, Philip Carey, another
1: one of the folks that we quote a lot and love, love, founding a, a founding saint of the Art Training um, Podcast. He talks about how Jesus has made a promise. And though every man be a liar, Christ is no liar. And you were talking about the covenant of marriage and, and how important that is to you and for so many, but maybe, maybe you're listening to this and you've been married or, or you know someone who's been married and and those folks uh, have not been faithful to the covenant vows that they've made. I do think the new covenant of reconciliation, so in that Jeremiah passage that that Nick brought up, there's this kind of juxtaposition between the old covenant and the new covenant and on one level, the old covenant is contingent. It's uh, If you follow these laws, you will remain in the fold. Now that's a very simplistic understanding, of course, in the Old Testament, God's moving towards God's people, even when they're creating golden calves, even when they're oppressing their own. Uh, so I don't wanna make it this easy, like, well, this the old covenant was karma. Uh, but there is this kind of notion that in the new covenant, uh, Christ has made a promise with his own blood. And though uh, spouses sometimes lie, though your friends lie, uh, Christ is no liar. So this new covenant is a promise that, as you said, there's no more performance anxiety we can rest and live in Christ's love. And that might just be the thing that births what we're going to yeah. talk about in a second. No, I run. think
0: you're right. Okay, well, one more thing about the covenant. This yeah. covenant thing is pretty good, actually. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think I got this from a commentary or I don't remember, but they it talks about, you know, again, I know this is the wrong way to analogize, but if you go from the human to the divine and you think about marriage, when you make a marriage covenant, you are voluntarily relinquishing a measure of independence and you're becoming very vulnerable. You're saying, I am going to, act towards you in a way that i don't act towards anyone else and i'm going to sacrifice for you you're kind of relinquishing independence quote-unquote or autonomy not that you've really had it but you know what i'm saying and so this writer was asking like well okay where you know it's easy to conceive how we do that when we make a covenant with god we say you are going to be my lord you know fail as though i may i'm going to make you my god where does god Forego his own independence? Where does God forego his prerogatives? Where does God humble himself to make a covenant with us? Because a covenant's always two sides. And the answer, of course, is the Paschal mystery: Christ dying, Christ relinquishing, you know, he did not count equality with God, something to be crashed. So our covenant with God is secured, not because of our declaration of fidelity, but because God shed his own blood to make a way for us. Um, man, this is this is like, we're veering on like preachy. So we need to, <laughs> we might
1: need to yeah, move on. I'm, okay. I'm convincing you uh, to pray this prayer. <laughs> I know, I know, I know.
0: I know you're right. Okay, so the, after that acclamation, we have a very specific request. Grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. We're basically hmm. asking here for integration. Those who are in the new covenant who profess certain things about the world, about human identity, about life in the world? We're saying, God, um, grant that they practice that, practice what they preach. You know, mm-hmm. um, do you know what, what it is that bothers me about this colic is that it's not in the first person. It's so weird to me. I think it's like I don't know of another colic that uses like they as opposed to we. It's, it's like yeah. it's almost like we're praying for those Christians over there who need help to profess. With their, uh, to show forth in their lives what they profess. I'm like, well, well that's, that's as, that's very true of me too, my man. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, pray this prayer for me. I think that's, that's one of my, that's one of my, yeah, ideas. I
1: wonder if uh, in the trans, like, in the translations that was lost. So, I mean, nobody cares about that, but yeah, no, I, I, and I, I like how the, the connection to, so we talked about the new covenant of reconciliation. And while I'm sure this collect is talking about how we, you know, live what we preach in everything, but maybe particularly, when it comes to reconciliation, Christ has reconciled us to himself despite everything. Um, and so therefore, I mean, I hear a whole lot of all the time, how like, I don't know, just like someone is wronged and they can never forgive. Or I've, I, I just watched super lame, but I watched this documentary on Orson Welles, which came out around the time that uh, his, the movie that was never released. To make.
0: Oh, oh, no, no. That no. One, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah and Other side of up. the wind. Um, it's been in the, you know, the vault for 40 years, which is what, it was just what a great movie. title.
0: That's incredible.
1: What a genius. And, and so I didn't actually watch the movie. I watched the documentary about the movie. <laughs> and the documentary was really just about the life of Orson Welles and how when I, he is, you know, just one of the best filmmakers of all time, incredible person, but he, he kind of gets shut out of Hollywood and he is angry about it, holds, this grudge until the end of his life. And just this the second line just kind of reminds me of that. Like he he went to his grave uh, without any sense of reconciliation being made, whether on the side of, you know, the studio execs who blocked him out or his own. Like he just kind of, it seems like he died a very angry human being, which you know seems to us. I mean, he died rich, right? So like totally come on, yeah. man. Uh, but yeah, so if we, we pray what we don't have, and that is that we might show forth in our lives what we profess by our faith. We've been made right with God. God willing, this births in us, uh, this desire to be made right with our neighbor. Uh, and as we've talked about in the past, th- that's health. That's the good life. Uh, that is, you know, the, the secular... Hashtag, hashtag flourishing,
0: yeah. Flourishing. <laughs>
1: That's, no, that's great, it. man.
0: That's great. Yeah. Um, that I like that Orson Welles tie in. Yeah. The only thing I thought of was like some kind of resonance. I mean, uh, I'd have to really think about how I articulate this, but, um, there was this pretty, I thought it was pretty fascinating. You know, one of those 20,000 word New Yorker articles about the, the quest to build an artificial heart that like basically tells the story of the last 50 years of people trying to build Either a plastic or a titanium or some type of device that could replace the actual organ of the heart. And, you know, it has these amazing statistics that, like, you probably learn in freshman biology, but, uh, you know, the heart beats 35 million times annually, pumps 2,000 gallons of blood every day. It's just like incredible. And what the story is really about is how, like, the, the smartest people in the world with the biggest financial incentives you could imagine cannot crack the code because the heart, and I'm talking, of course, about the physical organ. The heart is this enigma, you know, this riddle wrapped in an enigma, like, how does it work? How does it never break down? It's incredible. Um, and I, I understand just on nine levels why this analogy doesn't work. But I think what I, what I was thinking about was like, man, it makes the promise of, you know, a new heart, a new soul, the, God, the law of God being written on your heart. It just underscores how profound the promise is of like new motivations, you know, a new, a new integration that you really would profess show forth in your life what you profess with your faith. And um, it's hard when you talk about that because it it can engender some of the performance anxiety that covenant language is very helpfully silences. But in the spirit of the prayer, I think that's not a bad way to think about Eastertide. You know, it's this glorious celebration of the resurrection over 50 days. And as we, you know, revel in Jesus's victory over death to ask God to help us maybe practice with a little bit more integrity that which we claim to be true Eh, there's there's a place for that so is it worth praying well i'll I'll, i the i guess i will pray it to close (laughs) so it's it's worth it we won yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) well i mean it's in the prayer book so we're praying it but um, he's still not convinced (laughs) i think sometimes colleagues that you don't like underscore the importance of the prayer book because it's like it's just here i'm going to do it anyway you know it's not about me
1: that episode of our Triune Pod. Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your new favorite.